podcast this is a true crime and disaster podcast where we talk about all things horrible as is implied by the name of the podcast horrible things my name is emma sexton i am your host for this podcast and today i'm joined by steven wright steven wright hello welcome to the podcast it's good to be here it's It's been a dream of mine to be on this to be on this podcast today's a dream come true that's so good to hear So uh, something I kind of do with pretty much every single person who's a new guest on the podcast is just ask, like, what's your prior knowledge of true crime, if any? Like, what? how much do you know? How much do you keep up with it? Do you have any, like, family or friends that are interested in it? Just kind of your background with true crime. I think my mom likes the true crime podcasts. She commutes to work. I never got into them as much as a commuter. I used to commute a lot. I just moved back to Huntington Beach. I commuted out here quite a bit, but I don't have any prior knowledge outside of, I do remember the Scott Peterson case back in like 2003, Okay, which was crazy. It was all, you know what? Okay. No, no. So my aunt, she used to pick me up from school and she always listened to KFI AM radio. Okay. So when I was with her, it wasn't always true crime stuff, but every like major public case that was going on. Like that was on KFI. So I would listen to that and I would just kind of get that information filtered in. But other than that, I'm not like, I'm not watching, you know, Criminal Minds every night. You're not like a Dateline. No, but Mindhunter. Yeah, I was just going to say, have you watched Mindhunter? Dude, my wife and I are plowing through season two right now. It's amazing. It's amazing. I haven't even started season two. <sighs> Literally. Okay. It came out like what? Last week? Did it come out or two weeks ago? Something like that. Yeah, something like that. I just started college. So I've been like adjusting to life in the dorms and I have had no time to just like chill. And when I do have like a second, it's usually only like 30 minutes. So I watch like comedians in cars getting coffee or something like that. That takes only like 15 minutes an episode. And I feel like Mindhunter is a commitment. Like I want to have the time to sit down and watch like three episodes if I want to, because I know I'm going to get into it like right away. It's fascinating. Um, Have you seen season one? Yes. I loved season one. Okay. I'm going to give you a little spoiler. I'm going to give you a little spoiler. Okay. But it's like part, it's in the first episode. Okay. Charles Manson is, is talked about and he comes into the show a little bit. They went a little different direction with what they were doing, but I like it. I enjoy it. It's definitely a slow burn. Yeah. You know, you, you go from that, you watch The Office, it's like bang, 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 joke, 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 joke. For sure. You watch Mindhunter and it's like, you got to chew on it. It's like a piece of beef jerky. Yeah. It's the delicious. only thing I know about it is that BTK is in it, like yes. comes back as like kind of a subplot of it. That's yes. like pretty much the only thing that I've actually heard about it. But um, I did, I think someone did mention to me the Manson thing. And that's crazy because, you know, he's been all over media recently mm-hmm. at least like it you know like once upon a time and yes hollywood came out the, i had the most interesting experience at school with that because um so i'm in a class called broadcast one and in this class we kind of watch different news shows and stuff like that try to see what makes a good news show and all this stuff 
And my teacher used to be um, the executive producer at this show called California Connected. And mm. one of the very first episodes that they ever did was they were the first news outlet in like 10 years or 20 years who actually got to interview Charles Manson and the two Manson mm. girls. So they were like the first news outlet to be able to get them out of prison to talk to them. And so he showed us like in uh, in class that one of the initial documentaries that they like released on the platform was this one about Charles Manson. And um, he showed us the whole interview and it was crazy. Like I never knew that much about the Charles Manson case because I don't know, like I, I'd heard about it all the time. So then when it came to researching it, I was like, eh. I already like hear about this all the time, but actually hearing it from the mouths of the people who were in the cult and seeing like footage from the cult and all this, cr like I'm a huge Beatles fan. So all this mm. stuff about like Helter Skelter and all that, yeah. I was like so shocked and fascinated by it. But then I was talking to a girl who sat kind of near me and um, she was, she was telling me, she's like, oh my gosh, I feel bad for the kids who like saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but don't know anything about true crime. And I hadn't seen the movie. So mm. I was like, oh that's weird. And then later that night I was talking to um, someone in my dorm about it. And I was like, yeah, it's just such a bummer that like, um, you know, Sharon Tate had to pass. Like she was an incredible person, like yeah. acting, had a bright future, pregnant. And then they were like, she's dead. Mm, yeah. And I'm just l sitting there like, oh no, <laughs> like a lot. Of, I think a lot of people don't actually know what really happened. I think familiarity bre breeds unfamiliarity. Yeah. You know, I think maybe in 20 years, World War II is going to be like, oh, my gosh. And we're going to be like, what? And kids are going to be like, oh, my gosh, like that happened. Maybe not that. But like 9-11. Yeah. 9-11 you know, is kind of not as a lot of the kids that I work with are younger than that event. Steven works with like junior high kids just. And high schoolers. And high schoolers. And yeah. high schoolers. Yeah. But yeah, that's so true. I... A lot of teachers that I've had in school, sometimes they, they talk to us about their experience of like when they saw 9-11 and they always are like, it's weird to me that you guys are basically the, because my class is basically the last class of kids who were actually live during 9-11. Yeah. And totally. everyone after that, it's like they, it's more of like a historical thing where it's like, I mean, I wasn't you know, conscious of it when it was happening. I was like one or less than one. I was six. But, I didn't get it. But yeah. I was old enough to know, like, my mom's bad. crying at the TV. You know, like, that was, mm -hmm. my mom's crying at the TV. And she's calling my grandma. She's calling my aunt. Mm -hmm. This is crazy. Yeah. As a six-year-old, I grasped that. So, yeah. That whole Manson thing kind of coming to light. People probably didn't know who Sharon Tate was. Probably not, no. And they thought the story was true. They're like, oh, they killed the people, the bad guys. Mm -hmm. I spoiled the movie just now. Okay. Well, but it's a different. Should, it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. It's a different I take spoiled it on earlier. the. Well, it could have been. Oh, geez. Okay. Well, Sharon Tate. There will be spoilers. She did die okay. in real life. You got to watch a video on on that movie. I sent it to one of our high school students who was talking to me about it, who's into film, and yeah. just Tarantino's whole deal with, I think rewriting history. Like if you look at Django Unchained, mm -hmm. that's like a kind of a. Or Inglorious Bastards, it's a rewrite of history because I don't think those events happened the way that they did. Obviously, yeah. Hitler wasn't burned down in a movie theater. Another spoiler. 
in real life. That didn't actually happen. But yeah. Tarantino uses movies as escapism to see the good things happen at the end. And sometimes we think that's cliche, but maybe that's the point of movies. Maybe cliches yeah. are cliches because cliches work and yeah. they're, they're right or good. I mean, I love watching like movies that are like that, you know, like yeah. more. I love romantic comedies. I'll mm. watch like a crappy movie. I know it's terrible. I'll watch it just because it's a feel good movie. You know, yeah. I think that the whole idea of changing the end like it wasn't supposed to be you didn't go into it thinking this is a true crime documentary yeah. i'm gonna learn about yeah. the manson case <laughs> you know yeah. so i think that it's all's fair when you're making movies but just some people just probably will not ever it's funny because to my parents and my parents more so my grandparents it's like the manson case they they remember it yeah. happening you know they totally. remember that whole culture and the cult and things like that they just remember it and now it's like people are going to be more acquainted with that movie than probably with the actual case which is pretty interesting to me yeah for sure by the way i gotta commend podcasters and people who talk on the record because they do a much better job of saying spoiler alert i just walked into that spoiler <laughs> i just walked right into it you know i feel like uh, by the time this podcast episode comes out it'll be it's enough time that yeah. you can't like remain want, spoiler free forever. We'll, we'll get into the true crime. But if you want to get my take on spoilers, Shakespeare <laughs> had spoilers in every play and it's fantastic. Yeah, the very beginning. Literature, art. So you know what? Shakespeare did it. Like we don't have to get all uppity about spoilers anymore. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Pe people don't, didn't go into Romeo and Juliet and be like, damn it. Spoiler? <laughs> Are you kidding? Like they appreciate it, you know. It's I'm leaving. <laughs> I already know the ending. What's the point of watching this? Exactly. I'm leaving. Point of watching this iconic play. I saw the worst version of Romeo and Juliet in London. It was scarring. Like it was. It was amazing. Like being at the Globe, I was having the best time. And then we saw this version of Romeo and Juliet, and I was like, no, no. It was like. A, as if Romeo and Juliet were like gangbangers mm. and it was just awful like it was not fun my whole family was there my little brother was there and it was very inappropriate and we were like you know what it's just let's go home <laughs> <sighs> but yeah, with the young the young ones exactly you know how stuff. that is with your parents and the young ones that is a that is a cringe sandwich right there. i was just sitting there like oh no <laughs> okay it's the weird age where you're like you're old enough that your parents would be fine if just you were there but you're also like young enough that you want to side with your younger siblings so it's yeah. kind of that weird yeah. like Ugh. but anyway true crime <laughs> this is a great podcast this is awesome i thank you so much um but I say we just get right into it. Get right into the case. Yes. I'm excited. This case is really, really, really interesting. And um, we are going to be covering the case of Kristen Gilbert, who is also known as the Angel of Death or the Killer Nurse. And weirdly enough, when I was re researching this, I found out there's actually another. There's two other nurses who also killed patients. Um, wow. And they're both also nicknamed the angel of death so it's kind of interesting i feel like it's kind of a they reserve it for nurses and doctors that kill patients just like they all kind of share that title which is interesting to me my wife always uh bugs me about going to the doctor and getting checkups and stuff so because i don't 
But now I have another Ever? reason outside of being lazy as to why I don't always go to the doctor. You don't go to the doctor ever. I'm going on the 19th of this month. This When's the, the last time, time you went? Dude, <laughs> I don't know, man. Has it been like months or years? Somewhere in the middle. Somewhere in the between of, mo- in the between of months and, and years, I'd say. Okay. It's been a minute. We'll just say that. It's been a minute. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I all accept that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes. So, um, Kristen Gilbert, she was born in Massachusetts. Her maiden name was Strickland. So she was Kristen Strickland uh, from Massachusetts. And basically the way that I would sum up her entire like childhood to teenage years is that she was crazy. Like not I can plead insanity and <laughs> not go to prison crazy, but like she was a very, very overdramatic and just like emotionally all over the place person. Mm. So when she was younger, like in her teenage years, probably around 14, she would brag to all of her friends that she was related to Lizzie Borden. And Lizzie Borden is a serial killer who would kill people with axes, like probably in the late 1800s, early 1900s. She would brag to her friends to be and be like, I'm related to Lizzie Borden, all this stuff. So which she's is a clout weird. chaser. She, Yeah, truly, yeah. truly. She's you know a, who I'm related to? Who? Izzy Borland. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> Izzy Borland. What was her name? Lizzie Borden. <laughs> <laughs> uh, close enough. But um, so she's at a young age. She's very interested in all this. Like, not that it's weird to be interested in true crime, but to brag about being related to a serial killer, a tiny bit strange. And when she was a teenager, she would constantly threaten suicide to her friends. Wow. Not actually having done anything, but truly just to get attention. Cry for help. Yeah. Yeah. And she would tell um, her friends like that she was about to, that she had taken a bunch of pills or say like, I just ate glass is one of the things she would tell her friends. And Mm. then they would get really concerned about her and like almost call the police and try to go help her just to find that she hadn't done anything at all. She was just saying that, giving off false alarms. Yeah, truly. Cloud chaser. (laughs) (laughs) And so they basically said, okay, she's a pathological liar. Like that's the conclusion that they came to. And honestly, I think they're probably right that she just really wanted attention. She was willing to do anything, even from a super young age. So when she got a little bit older... She went to community college and uh, she was eventually sent to two different, actually overall, she went to three different community colleges because um, the first one, after she threatened suicide, her friends told the college and she was sent to a different one to get psychiatric help from a different community college. Um, And then after that, she transferred to um, another community college and uh, she got her nursing degree from that college. And that was in 1988 that she got her nursing degree. Wow. Okay. Yeah. You just, you just unpacked a lot there. Yes. So I want to know, you might not know this. Maybe nobody knows what, where's the pivot? Like I'm at community college. Oh, we could, I wish my wife was here. She's like a psychologist. That's so awesome. I want to yeah. have her on the show. She would be fantastic. Dude, she would. We're going to set that up after, after oh, this. Oh, <laughs> Kaya, she texted me. And she's like, are you excited? I said, yeah, duh, for this, to oh do gosh, this. She would be so good. She, she'd be good, yeah. Um, she could probably... Psychologists aren't musicians. Married to family therapists. She's finishing up her master's to do that. So she's not technically one, but she does counseling and stuff. She could totally maybe unpack this a lot better than I could. But I'm wondering, where's the pivot of so much drama 
so much there's obviously pain there yeah there's well the interesting thing too is she didn't grow up in a bad family situation which a lot of times you see from serial killers usually they have a history of abuse or some kind of sexual assault none of that she grew up in like a pretty nuclear family okay so you, you have a normal family you have just this abnormal behavior this is my wife talking through me right now abnormal behavior <laughs> hi kaya yeah <laughs> you have abnormal behavior and then you get good good on that college for sending her to get help i don't know their how well their the practices were of this other college with the psychiatric yeah. help but good on them for sending them there but then you have the pivot of i want to be a nurse i want to help people yeah where's the where's the bridge how does the bridge get built So here's what I think and kind of what you'll find later as like psychologists talk about her and things like that. I think that it was less about wanting to help people and more about wanting to look good. Ooh. You know, like for her image. And she wanted to be basically I think she wanted to be like a superhero. She wanted people to admire her and like look up to her. And being a nurse was how she thought that she could do that. And that actually that's a good question that really ties in to the actual murders. I'll add here, being a good person, being powerful, being relied upon and having control. There might be a control thing. Yeah, really. I'm speculating. To- this is total speculation. I did not do any preparation. Um, I'm reciting the words that my genius wife says to me. Um, but like, do you guys this- often talk about um, serial killers? No, we don't. We can't talk about her, um, her cases oh, okay. as, as far as families. Yeah. Um, clients but we do talk I mean she our life right now is 45% Cal State Fullerton marriage and family therapy uh, master's college right yeah so we talk about all that stuff and I, I have gleaned a lot from that just in being present but we do we do talk a lot about even just in our in ourselves and with people and families like okay, where is this coming from? Because there's so much, there's abnormal behavior. There's a root to all of it. Yeah. In a lot of ways outside of um, someone who's a psychopath or sociopath maybe, or yeah, just totally or narcissistic. Or someone who maybe has like borderline personality disorder or something like that. Well, yeah. Well, um, yeah, but there are people who have had such a tough childhood that they've created these different, like Sybil, I forgot her last name, but there's a movie about her. I watched it with Kaya a long time ago. We talked about it the other day, but that whole idea of, this girl had such a jacked up childhood or experience or trauma that she created like up to 28 different personalities for herself oh, to escape this. that. Yeah. Yeah. She created, I don't know. I don't know. I feel like I'm being insensitive the way that I'm talking about it. I'm trying to be sensitive in how I talk about it. Yeah. The way that Kaya would say it. Um, so when I say she created these personalities or X, Y, and Z, um, don't come after me. But um, yeah, that whole power thing, right? Like, Mm-hmm. A nurse, that's power. Yeah, can, it really I can, is. I can kill you with morphine. Um, yeah, it's crazy because you never really think about that, I guess. When you go to the hospital, you kind of are just like, okay, I'm here and people are going to help me. But I guess when I'm at the doctor, when they're injecting like who knows what into me yeah, when I'm yeah. getting a shot, I never think about the fact that this person, I'm literally placing my life in the hands of this person. I do not know whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it is kind of an interesting power dynamic that you yeah. really don't think about because nurses, you kind of just think helpful, like r- walking around doing that stuff. But really, they they are in charge of pretty much everyone's life in the hospital. Yeah. And the doctors. It's, yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. 
So she graduated from her community college with a nursing degree. That was in 1988. And that was the same year that she married a man named Glenn Gilbert. So then she became Kristen Gilbert. Mm-hmm. Uh, she had two sons with him. I think the oldest was born or the youngest was born in 1993. And then they divorced um, like 10 years later. But that's not important right now. All you need to know, they got married. And uh, so kind of around that time, um, she was able to get a job at this place called, um, it's basically a Veterans Affairs Hospital. So she was carrying, mm. it was um, healthcare for veterans basically in Northampton, Virginia. So she moved from Massachusetts to Virginia. Or no, no, Northampton, Massachusetts, VA Hospital. Okay, okay. there we go. Lots of- uh, Capital VA. Yeah, capital VA. Yeah, hospital. I get it, I get it, you're good. So um, she's- working in this hospital and that's basically where things kind of start to go start to go down she becomes the angel of death she becomes the angel of death so and also fun fact she was actually featured in a um, veterans affairs hospital magazine in april of 1990 before she had killed anyone which is like kind of crazy that she got a feature in this magazine but um Nurses kind of started to notice while she was at the hospital that there were a lot of people, a lot of patients who were dying under her watch, but they kind of just thought it was a coincidence, you know, like, oh, that's unfortunate that she's getting a lot of patients who die on her watch. But in 1996, after this had been happening for a little while, some of the nurses started to report the fact that they were concerned that patients who were under her watch were dying of sudden cardiac arrest who had never had heart problems before. Like patients who had come in with problems other than heart problems were dying of cardiac arrest under her watch. And they were like, hey, this is a little bit weird. It's getting spicy. Yeah, and then they noticed that they were missing epinephrine. I'm hoping I pronounced that right. I think I I did. I think that's right. It's adrenaline, basically. They noticed that- Oh yeah, EpiPen. Yeah, 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 yeah. They noticed that- their supply of adrenaline was like low, too low for the amount that they were actually administering on record. So that's when they started to investigate the whole situation. And uh, when they started investigating, it wasn't that difficult to kind of find Kristen Gilbert as a suspect because um, they were able to look at her court records and they found that she had made like she had a history of violence in the past. She had uh, uh, on her record, she had tried to assault someone with a kitchen knife. Uh, she had tried to murder someone with poison the year before. They actually okay. started reporting these deaths at the hospital. Two people she tried to murder with poison. And um, she actually had caused medical emergencies in the past at this hospital because she removed a patient's breathing tube um, on purpose and then they were obviously choking and she um, she like just took it out and waited until it was basically the very last minute before this patient was about to die. And then she put the breathing tube back in. So she's like, like you were kind of saying, holding this power over people. Kind of crazy. Um, yeah. And then um, she also, one time someone was actually under like cardiac, was having cardiac issues and they were basically going to die and she just stood there and wouldn't do anything while this person was about to die so a person who had no training whatsoever had to use the um, defibrillator and use the paddles on this person because she just stood by and didn't do anything while someone was literally dying on her watch (laughs) that's horrible so also they found out that 
eight years before they had even started looking at anything she had done at the VAMC, uh, she, they found that she had on purpose uh, burned a mentally handicapped child with water, like on purpose with bath water. So basically not a good person. Yeah. Yeah. And that was, when you think about it, that was eight years before she was working at the VAMC. So this is like 1996, eight years before that. She's still like in college pretty much or just got out of college and she's committing these crimes. So it wasn't like a sudden like, oh, I'm going to There was no kill switch. People. No, she just decided I'm going to kill people. I'm going to hurt people. I'm going to hurt people. From a young age, yeah. So, so okay, so she's in her training and she's doing this or she got out of her training? She got her nurse's degree. Okay, so 1996, eight years before that. Okay, so she had just gotten out of college. She yeah, was yeah, working yeah. with patients because she had her nurse's degree, but she wasn't working at the veterans hospital. Yet. Okay, okay. Yeah, so she she was working for other people and that was when she actually harmed one of her patients. Right like, after she got out of college. So in my job, I do music. Um, ooh, ooh. Yeah, I sing songs. I play guitar. How many times do I have to like curse at the kids in order to get fired and get get my, I don't know, my, my, my qualifications revoked? Like once probably. Right? Like I kind of, so, so I, I mean, literally. If you did that, you'd probably get fired. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like. Yeah, I'm like, hey, I hate you. You're a scumbag. I want you to die or something. And I didn't even harm the kid physically. Maybe I made the kid cry, but like in six months, they probably would forget about it. But I would be fired. I would be kicked out of my job. And my job does not really uh, save people in a physical way, the way that um, making sure someone doesn't die as a nurse does. So I wonder, like, is there like a 12 strikes you're out type rule there? or I. I should, you know, I actually have an answer to that question. And, um, okay, so here's the thing. This is going to digress a tiny bit, but I think it's kind of important. When I was in eighth grade, okay, my teacher, my history teacher got put on jury jury duty. And after the case had been decided, she came back and actually told us (laughs) everything that happened in the case. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. And so basically what happened is there's this private caretaking company that had a bunch of qualified nurses working there. But there was a caretaking company and uh, her case was there was this patient who was suicidal and there was a caretaker assigned to watch her and make sure she took her medication so that she wouldn't commit suicide on her watch. So um, basically what happened was this nurse fell asleep and the woman she was supposed to be watching committed suicide. And so the they wanted the family of this woman who committed suicide wanted to charge the nurse or the company with criminal negligence Mm. basically for allowing that to happen. And they wanted their license revoked. So they couldn't, she couldn't be a caretaker anymore. The woman who had been negligent. Basically what happened is, uh, they decided that it was, there was nothing they could do about it because it was a private company. And Mm. because the nurse like was a private caretaker, there was nothing they could do. So she, even though someone had died on her watch, got to go on and continue to be a nurse for caretaking companies. And she could still get a job at a hospital probably because it was yeah. a private matter, private company. They had to pay like a fine, but that was pretty much all that happened. So if you are 
a caretaker for a private company, to my knowledge, this was like a couple of years ago, things might have changed, but you can pretty much get away with criminal negligence as long as you don't actually kill your patient, you can be as bad a nurse as, as you, you know as you as want. you want. You can be below mediocre. Yeah. There's probably nothing the family that kid I mean, they could have done something, but I mean I'm gonna run for president and this is gonna be my main uh legislation. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. Let's cut this negligent workers nonsense. We're going to make nursing homes safe. Yeah. I feel like shouldn't it be that <laughs> like that you should run on that platform. Make nursing homes safe again. Yeah. That should be your. Yeah. I feel like that would be a. Yeah. When I, I thought about tagging the again to it, but I think that would be a really divisive. Yeah. Tag. <laughs> you can't add again to the end of anything. No one can all, say anything again. again. We can't be like the only something again shirt i can wear is or or endorse as i saw a shirt that said make country music great again and i believe that because i've been listening to a lot of willie nelson lately and I then i listen to like whatever's you know, buddy. on buddy by willie nelson oh yes yes that is i thought you're gonna fantastic. say buddy holly i was like it's not totally country <laughs> not- but yeah yeah um but yeah so you know the uh all the mean nurses yes the, private nurses better private, watch out. Yeah, watch out. Steven's coming for you. I'm not running for president. That's the stupidest <laughs> job ever. That's the worst job of all time. I would never want to be the president. No, no, no. That would be awful. But uh, um wearing so, a suit. <laughs> wearing a suit all the time. All the time. I come to work wearing flip-flops and shorts your and tie a has, giant sweatshirt. Your tie has to be blue or red. Always. Couldn't it be purple? What if you wanted to? Dude, Obama wore a tan suit once. And he got murked. Really? He got murked by the media because he Why? wore a tan suit. Why I think do he care? looked too baller. Like he literally just looked too like, dude. Obama's wearing a tan suit. He looks sharper than Attack. It's a little <laughs> bit different. I'd wear it if I was president. I'm telling you right now, Tom Ford. I'm wearing a Tom Ford suit. It's gonna be black. I'm gonna be wearing penny loafers with no socks, and I'm gonna have my long hair. To be honest, it's like if you're not passionate about that job, it's not worth doing. You don't make that much money for how much work you're doing. I think they make like a little over 200K. I, th- I thought it was 400K. Regardless, you, um, I, I don't know if like 20 years shaved off of my lifespan is worth whatever that is. Yeah. No, that's so true. And also like constantly being, no matter who you are. As a president, Democrat, Republican, you're constantly getting harassed by the media and like by yeah. people. And just knowing that that many people hate me, I would not. There's no way. And I'm, I'm a like nice John guy. Mulaney. I'm walk around like I'm running for mayor of nothing. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That is a stolen joke. That's John Mulaney. Watch it. It's okay. So you referenced John Mulaney. That's okay. Dude, I reference him almost every single episode. It I'd is like to so see bad. him in a tan suit. I think Dude, he'd look good too. He would. <laughs> he would make fun of himself though if he words. <laughs> he always wears a suit. But anyway, true crime. So All right, back to the angel of death. So they start doing this investigation, right? That's where we left off, and um, they find that from 1995 to 1996, Kristen Gilbert had 37 patients who died. Oh my gosh! While in her care. Oh my gosh! While she was on duty, which is. Weird. And so she worked in the C ward. That was the ward of the hospital she worked in. And everyone was like, Kristen, social butterfly. She is the she's the queen of the C ward. So like 
why how could this happen you know like she was basically hiding in plain sight like people actually liked her and then she was just like oh darn another one gone and whether that be because she was either a actually getting a lot of people who were just dying on her watch which i really don't think so she was killing more people than she got convicted for or she just let people die yeah i it's kind of crazy that this actually all happened like people weren't like 37 in a year if you just Gosh, that's suck a lot. at your job like that yeah you probably the, should be fired at the baseline yeah yeah so she left the hospital in 1996 after they were doing Praise the investigation God. and i'm like okay right there that should have been a red flag <laughs> <No>. <laughs> like the person who quits their job mid-investigation I would look a second time at Here's that the person. Thing. The internet like barely existed as we know it at that point. I'm pretty sure. Um, in 96. In 96. Because I think the internet came in hot during the uh, Clinton era. Okay. So like now we're like, how do you not know? How do you not know that this chick is letting 38 people die? 37. 37. Oh, sorry. I, I mean, sorry. That was over the top. 38 is a lot, but 37 is like, come on, dude, give her a break. Um, you, you look at the, like, they didn't have DNA until like 40 years ago. Oh my you know God. what I'm saying? Yeah. So like, you think, man, man, we should have been better than this, but we're barely, and like, they're going to talk, people are going to talk about this in 50 years, but like, they were barely able to go on AOL and check an email in like under 15 minutes. They're gonna fifty years from now. How do you track be like, a nurse? Idiots. Yeah, exactly. They didn't know that the government has files for every single murder that ever happened, or like something <laughs> stupid like that. It's gonna be all technology, and we're gonna be like, uh, uh, it seemed like the best option at the time. <laughs> During so. the mass surveillance civil war <laughs> waged against the people versus uh, Apple and Samsung. The people versus uh, Mark Zuckerberg. Mark, yeah. <laughs> When, yeah, when uh, Star Lord uh, Jeff Bezos is, like, <laughs> ruling the world, they're going to be like, how do they not know that when they pressed accept <laughs> on the terms of agreement, that means that everything that they ever said or did was being recorded? Because no one ever read it. Because nobody reads that stuff. You know what is... My phone I, is... We're, there's multiple recordings going on right now because I know my phone is like... I know. You're going to start like getting ads not. for true crime and stuff like that. <sighs> that always happens to me. I it's hate creepy. when I think like, I want a hot dog. <laughs> and I go on it. Facebook and I'm like, what the heck? First of all, I shouldn't be on Facebook. <laughs> okay. let's. Yeah, okay, you just fine. think it? Yeah. I'm hmm. like, like, man. <laughs> I like apples. <laughs> and apples. Oh my... I would love to see what an advertisement for apples looks like. <laughs> <laughs> Fuji, 65 cents a pound, baby. <laughs> okay. That's what I'm talking about. So uh, this this podcast is sponsored by apples. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> so she leaves the hospital and um, she actually was checked into psychiatric hospitals in the time after she quit working at the hospital she was only at each hospital. She was at seven hospitals or seven times she stayed at a hospital for 10 days, mm. for 10 day stints. So um, she was obviously not there for a super long time yeah. and she was continuing to try to get treatment, but it obviously wasn't working too well. Yeah. And actually in 1996, during the investigation, after she quit, she called in a bomb threat to the hospital that she used to work at 
and told them that there were three bombs in the hospital, which they then went to check out. They realized there was nothing there. They had evacuated everyone from the hospital. They realized there was nothing there. And she, a lot of people had said that she did it to try to get back at them for investigating her and for calling her out to the yeah, police. Because they had no rights. crazy. Yeah, they had, no how basis. dare they? So in 1998, which is, um, in 1998, she got divorced. So that was one of the first things that happened to her. And she actually had to stand trial for calling in that bomb threat because they were able to trace back and find that it was her. So, um. Good lawyer. I know. Look at that. Good lawyer. So, um. She goes to stand uh, stand trial for that, and she actually does get convicted for that, and she spends 15 months in prison, or in county jail, I guess. Jeez. Which is interesting that that's the thing that she gets convicted for first. I would hope there would be the other thing, but I guess that does She's take like, more time. She's like, I pulled a fire alarm, and I got 15 months. It's like the whole Ted Bundy getting pulled over for speeding after yeah. he had just killed someone. You yeah. know what I mean? It's that thing. That is poetic like, justice. It it is, you know, and then she you at least know where she is. So she gets convicted for that crime. Um a bunch of staff members of the hospital she had worked at were starting to say that they had they thought that over the entire course of her time working at this hospital that she would have possibly been responsible for 80 deaths and th- a little more than 300 medical emergencies. Wow. At during her time there. It's insane. That's. <sighs> yeah. And uh, one of the psychiatrists who was working at the hospital at the time said that he what he thought if he had to give a theory as to what was happening, he thought that she was making these medical emergencies happen on purpose so that she could show off to the people around her what a good nurse she was and how <sighs> good she was at managing medical crisis. Which actually does make sense when you think yeah. about it in the context of all the stuff she'd done before. Power and, then, and attention. Yeah. Yeah. So eventually she does get arrested after her stint in county jail. She gets arrested and it this whole case goes to trial. And um, she is actually charged for four murders. This is what they're trying to get her put in prison for. Of uh, Henry Houdon, who is 35 years old. Kenneth Cutting, he's 41. Edward Squira who is 69 and then there were a couple there were two attempted murders of thomas callahan and angela vella angelo vella and then uh he she was also a little bit later not in the same trial but she was also charged for the death of this man named stanley jagodowski okay so four four deaths two attempted murders which is they think she could have been responsible for more but that's what they charge her for yeah and while they're like going through her case the prosecutor had brought up a bunch of this interesting information about the fact that like her bo- she was she had a boyfriend while she was working at the hospital so she had a and um i feel bad for those people yeah who the don't husbands, know kids boyfriends yeah she had two kids families yeah she and like, her kids, kids. Uh, a little bit older than me that uh, yeah born in 93 i was born in late 94 Jeez. Yeah, that's rough. I hate that. That's the, that's the thing. Obviously, the murders are terrible and it's they're ridiculous and murder is just bad in in all forms. But then on top of it, to add salt to the wound, it's just like, yeah, that's my that's my aunt. Yeah, you know, you go to school. Is that your aunt, the angel of death? And you're like, yeah. And you got to switch schools. And then some kids like, hey. 
your aunt is the angel of death. And it's like, dude. So I don't know. That's just my PSA yeah. to all the murderers out there. <laughs> just don't do it for your family sake. I know, you know, you may not care. You, you probably, it probably won't stop you, but for goodness sake. Yeah. There's, there's actually a lot of, I find that super interesting. Like I always think about like Ted Bundy's daughter. What, yes. is, what is she up to? Like she is, what goes on in her life? Like how does she deal with the fact, with what her dad did? And it's such an unfair it's it sucks because it's an unfair burden to like place on yeah. those kids because she did nothing wrong, but just because of who her dad was, people are always going to look twice and like, you know. Yeah, well, it's like even for for me, like the people in my family, whether they've struggled with X, Y, and Z, you always wonder, oh, is that me? Yeah, I'm that person's kid, therefore am I going to be that whatever that is, right? And for me, that's someone who's like, I don't know, I don't want to out my family on their deepest, darkest sense, which they don't have any deep, dark sense. But like, let's just say my parents had a really bad time with eating potato chips and getting unhealthy and getting overweight from just always eating potato chips. And I'm like, oh my gosh, am I going to get huge eating just potato chips because that's what my family did? Or And it goes yeah. the other way too, right? Like my family, like, my family is just into music. So that's kind of how I came to be a musician. And that's good too. And you kind of think of that too. Like, oh, um, I'm a hard worker because my family if works I got hard. This, right. Could I have gotten that? That cause and effect type thing. But then to, so there's those fears and frustrations. And also, um, there's also the positive things that come with being part of a lineage that is whatever it is. But for yeah. this kid, for the children, it's like, oh my gosh, am I going to be that murderer in the same way that my parent is? And like, even, am I destined to become the yes, same as Yes, and even my though you deny it, right? Even though you're like, I will never be that because I kind of assume the son and daughters and and lineage of people who do horrific things maybe try to end that cycle of yeah. violence and crazy stuff. But gosh, just having to deal with that and process through that. And even, like, let's say, I don't know, Okay, we'll say this. We all know that Ted Bundy was a very charismatic speaker, right? Yeah. He was yeah. like really good as a charismatic speaker. So let's say his kids are charismatic speakers and they have a way with words and they can talk to people and they can make people people feel comfortable. That's like, oh, that came from my dad. I hate that part of me. That's a positive thing because it came from my dad. Mm. Yeah, that's true. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's that sad. Sucks. It does suck. I feel terrible for kids. I mean, that's awful. And um, while she's getting prosecuted, they start bringing up like a bunch of, of stuff about her past. Obviously, they bring up all of her incidents in the past as evidence. They bring up the fact that uh, her boyfriend, who's his name was Perot. That was like his last name. I don't know what his first name was, but that was his last name. So we're going to go with that. Um, he was a police officer in the hospital. And they said that part of the reason she was probably causing these emergency situations is because when there was an emergency, a medical crisis, a police officer had to be on site. So they thought, they theorized that she was using these medical emergencies to show off in front of her boyfriend. And then what really like nailed, you know, the, what's that phrase? Nailed the coffin. Yeah. The, the nail in the coffin. <laughs> the nail in the coffin. What put the nail in the coffin was really the fact that 
her um her boyfriend so perot and then her ex-husband so glenn gilbert they both testified saying that she had called them on different occasions and admitted saying i killed those guys by injection Ooh. yeah so and that ended up being what she did is that when they were in the hospital they had those little um those bags like that hook up to an yeah, IV. Yeah, the drip IV. Yeah, so she would use their IVs and inject adrenaline into them, which Holy would cause cow. these guys to go into cardiac arrest and then they would die, even if they had no heart problems. And you got to think like one of those guys that she killed was only 40, 41. And yeah. so it's like, yeah, it's awful. And it's such a sad way to go because they probably knew what was happening. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty awful. So another crazy thing that happens in this case and the, near the end of this case is that um, Massachusetts, okay, no death penalty in Massachusetts. Okay. However, she was 33 at this time. And remember that she had killed these people in the Veterans Medical Center. Okay. okay. So this that's a federal building. So the death penalty oh. could still get applied to her because of the fact it's that she had crime. killed people it was a federal crime so she could still be killed for what she had done um i wonder if this was an fbi case it was it was a federal investigation dang bro so and you know what's interesting also is that if she would have i'm spoiling it she didn't get put on death row but if she would have she would have been the third woman ever to be put on death row dang. which is kind of interesting uh, I was looking this up just because out of curiosity, only about 1% of the people executed every year on death row are women. Like 1.07%, mm. which is crazy. It's really low. Yeah. So Massachusetts, they, they banned it, but um, they were still allowed to, you know, they could have given her the death penalty if they wanted to. And this led to this huge thing in the courtroom where her parents were on the stand, like saying that they couldn't kill her. Like you can't kill her. Yeah. She has two kids. Like it'll devastate her kids. And so after 12 days of deliberation, there was not, not a unanimous decision to put her on death row. So she was not charged with, um, the death penalty. Okay. So she, she actually, what's crazy is that she's still alive today. She's 51. She's still in prison. Um, so they, the U.S. State, uh, United States attorney, he talked about, here's a quote from him, quote, the four murders were especially, especially cruel and heinous. So because of that, they um, gave her four life sentences. Plus later they added on 20 years with yeah. no possibility of parole. Okay. Wow. So she's in jail for life, uh, yeah. more than life. And she's never going to get out of prison there's really interesting interviews um, with some people because obviously this is recent. So there's a lot of information on it. And like the wife of Kenneth Cutting, who's only 41 years old, she spoke out after the um, after the trial. And she was like, it's not the verdict I wanted. I wanted her to get death. But it's, you know, I'm glad that this is all over with, that it's finally done with. No one else is going to get hurt. Yeah. So it was basically, I think, really the only reason that she didn't get death is because of her parents and yeah. her kids going up and pleading for her. I wonder, you know, I, we think about retributive justice and like, I think about that. And I have no right to tell the wife of the, the widow, right? I have no, I have no right to tell the widow what she should and should not feel. And this is a personal belief yeah. of mine. I often feel like 
that retributive, this person killed so many people, they need to die. I think there's some people that like definitely like needed to die. One of my favorite people, his name is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I think he was, um, he was, uh, a pastor who was German, who was anti-Nazi. And I think he died in an internment camp in a, uh, um, in a concentration camp. I think he died or was executed, but I think he had a plan to execute and assassinate Hitler. Okay. So there's like those instances where it's like, okay, that's really fair. Uh, Nothing's fair, but like, that's understandable. Yeah. But for me, just, I don't know if I were in that position, I would probably want that retributive justice of that person should be killed. Yeah. But I don't know if that works ever. You know, like them dying is, you're still, you've still lost someone. I guess my thing is that when you go to prison, right? Like you commit a crime, you break into someone's, the logic behind it for me at least is you break into someone's house. Okay. You commit a crime where you hurt someone and that's enough to put you in prison. Yeah. You forfeited your rights to like have control over your own life because of what you did. If you take someone else's life, I think the logic behind it is that you forfeited your own right to life when you did that, when you killed someone. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think that another thing about it is that some people are just too dangerous to. Yeah. I mean, Ted Bundy. Totally. No tears from me when when that guy got killed. You know what I mean? But it is in some cases I do see it. And also like the the fear of accidentally killing someone who didn't commit a crime, that's awful. But Yeah, that's horrible. If I, you're a hundred percent certain. Yeah. I would say. I have um yeah, I have an interesting way of thinking about things, like my own personal views. I wouldn't say they're they're um I'm not I'm not speaking in like political jargon that we have now today. Mm-hmm. I'm a very conservative person as far as um I don't I live a restricted lifestyle a little bit. Mm-hmm. I don't really party a lot. I don't like go crazy. Stuff yeah. like that. Um but I'm also very aware that those are my beliefs for personal reasons if yeah. that makes sense so you're like and other people it, yeah i don't see why people who don't i i understand why people who have a different worldview than me see that those things differently yeah and that doesn't make sense to them not to say that like i think uh stealing from the poor is a terrible thing yeah. And that probably should stop. And I would advocate that everyone stop stealing from the poor. Let's just say, right. Um, That's a cause to run your presidency on. Stealing from the poor. <laughs> stop it. Yeah. Um, but for me personally, I have somewhat of an ethical issue with the death penalty. Yeah. That's fine. That's your opinion. Some that's people, me. Some people, yeah. I, I totally understand why some people feel that way. I think my... Maybe it's just because I know so much about this stuff. Yeah, I'm I ignorant. Have zero sympathy <laughs> for some. Like I read, I've seen the crime scene photos. Yeah. I know what these people like. I've I read into and I see the interviews with the families and like yeah, all these like a list of people whose yeah. lives were cut short because of someone else's 
Totally. You know? And so I think it just, it really depends on the perspective you're looking at it from. Not that one way. Honestly, I think like if you're anti-death penalty, that's fine. You know, that's fine. Yeah. And if you're pro-death penalty, I also kind of think that's fine. I mean, that's yeah. kind of in all cases that I talk about sometimes, that's my position on it is like i'm okay with this person getting the death penalty because like look what they they've done but i do agree that in some cases it can be a little too harsh for sure yeah it's funny because i think my my position and i'm not taking a position really because i don't really know much but like i guess my my frame of mind is rooted in a position of willful willful ignorance yeah um i don't think a lot about whether or not we should take away the death penalty with that being said though i think my problem and my ethical issue is not necessarily with the death penalty itself it's with the fact that somebody died and things were so bad that the only option was to kill the person who did it yeah that's fair you know what i mean like that it went there i think in some cases too it's like yeah, it, it really has to be. I think my thing with the death penalty is it has to be one murder is awful. You know, yeah. it's awful, but it has to be so bad that yeah. you are like this person like can't. It's not fair, you know, for this person. To be, like, you know, it, yeah. for, to me, it, like it has to be that bad. It has to be Ted Bundy, Jeffrey yeah. Dahmer, those people where it's like, well, you're not really like you don't have anything that makes you human after a certain point, I think. I don't feel bad that BTK's dead. Yeah. Like, what are you... I'm not like, oh, Wow, what a bummer. You know. But... I'm sad that that's who he he became. Yeah, it is. It is more of a sympathy for, like, the... Honestly, like, in the... In a lot of cases with these people, it's their families I feel bad for, kind of like we were talking about earlier. Because, like, it it is a bummer to have a family... Like, your son or your daughter... Where it's like, oh, my kid's getting killed. Like that's that makes my heart hurt. But in the end, I'm like, it's not your fault. It's just that yeah. your kid. In some cases, it is their fault. But it's just your kid is a monster, you know. Like, yeah. Or your brother, and that's just, that doesn't change, you know, regardless yeah. of who eyes you, whose eyes you look through. But I I think that um, in Kristen Gilbert's case, I think it was probably. I mean, it's awful. I'm not sure about this one, to be honest, but it's uh, in the end, what they did was in 2001, she was convicted on three counts of first degree murder, one count of second degree murder, two counts of attempted murder. So she's she she got convicted for for she did a lot of stuff to keep her away for the rest of her life. That's for sure. Wouldn't it have been nice for her to not be a nurse? Yeah. Wouldn't it have been nice for her to not kill someone? I I would have liked that so much. But um, why is it harder to uh, get kicked out of being nurse than is it get kicked out of like being a musician or yeah or like community college like if you fail like a couple classes you get kicked out of the school yeah no it's ridiculous but you fail at preserving someone's life thirty eight times and it's like (sighs) yeah it's kind of ridiculous all right you got one more shot. Yeah, okay, one more, but this is the last one, okay? Disappointing Yeah, it's you. so stupid. Yeah. But um, right now, she's 51 years old. She's at the Federal Medical Center in Carswell t- in Fort Worth, Texas. So she's in Texas right now. 
She had an, uh, a chance to have a federal of appeal in 2003, but she dropped it because there was a U.S. Supreme Court ruling that basically said they could pursue the death penalty a second time. So she was like, mm. no, 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 because she was not confident she would not get the death penalty if she tried a second time. So she's going to be in jail for the rest of her life. Uh, obviously, it's tragic for her victims and for her children and yeah. pretty much everyone in this story. So that is the very sad and horrifying case of Kristen Gilbert, who is known as the angel of death and the killer nurse. Wow. Yeah. Crazy case. This has been a journey. It really has. This has been an experience. I think there's, I think there's something unifying about talking about horrible stuff. Yeah. Like, I feel like, like we got to go to rehearsal in a little bit. And yeah, I think we when do. we go rehearse, I think, I think I'm going to be a little bit different. Yeah. Well, it really does. I guess sometimes looking at the worst people and the worst things, it kind of, to me at least, it makes me realize that a lot of the stuff that I, I'm worried about and that I hate, it's not so bad, you know? Yeah. It's not too bad. Yeah. Um, what has this journey, what kind of mark has it made on you? True crime in general or this case? Let's go broad. This this whole podcast, this experience, because you became like oh gosh, a research. You're interviewing me. You now. became a research journal. Yes, I am. You became a research journalist, essentially. Dude, it. I love doing it, and the weird thing about it is that I used to have the worst phobia of this, like fear phobia. It was bad of this stuff. I would like there were nights when I would just not be able to sleep because I was constantly thinking about all these cases I'd heard about and like. The fact that it it would be so easy for someone to just kill me right now, like while I'm yeah. sleeping. I would think about it constantly. I was yeah. always scared. Wow. There was a period of time where I slept with a knife under my pillow because I was so scared of just like this, all of this stuff. Then I was like, <laughs> obviously I have some kind of a, you know, I don't know why, but I was like, I'm going to do a true crime podcast because I love this stuff. I love learning about it. I don't like, I don't love murder, but I love learning about it and like, trying to see what makes people like this you know mm -hmm. like what what are these horrible parts of humanity and so i started the podcast and something it's just the weirdest thing because talking about it with other people and being more open about all this stuff and just having someone to talk to about it i don't i'm not afraid of it anymore because yeah. i think now i'm i'm cautious but i don't let the fact that i'm scared of it of of murder you know like control my life something about talking about it has relieved the anxiety so it's been great the research is a lot i like i always say i thought when i was going into it that the editing would be the hardest part but research usually takes me like two to four hours for every single episode yeah so and I did zero. if i do a two-part like the i think the monster of florence episode that was like five hours five six hours of research total because i read a book for it it was a lot but it like something about it's all worth it honestly even yeah. for me just to ha have it as sort of an outlet to talk about this totally stuff. and then also to know that like people actually like it that it makes it all worth it yeah what's interesting is uh this is uh my first podcasting experience this is my first experience Yay. going on the record in this way this has been ex it's been a fun journey but uh yeah, you were an awesome guest thank you thank you mm -hmm. you were an awesome host thank um, you it was like 10 seconds of like, okay, what am I going to say? And then we just kind of settled in and found our groove. Uh, I think it's cool that you had a, I guess, 
way to process that fear and those anxieties and kind of overcome them and face them. We usually think overcoming things has to do with escapism and escapism is important. Sometimes you just got to go to the movies and say, I don't want to watch the news. Yeah. But then there's like actually facing it and processing and dealing with it and stuff like that. So that's interesting. My experience here has been, it's actually been a lot like counseling in a way. I did counseling about a year ago because my wife was going into a program. I just want to try yeah. it out. I was like, I want to see what this is all about. You know, I hear about it. It's awesome. Going to therapy. And- yeah. So I started a counselor and there's something that's very countercultural and somewhat um, disturbing in like a shaking up your equilibrium kind of way not disturbing like gross there's kind of this disturbance where you're in a room with people with one person and you're talking about something and you're talking openly and honest about things and there's no facade and i think this kind of captures a little bit of that true and it's also like i'm here telling you confidently about the thing that i'm most terrified of yeah but like that's counseling right there that's yeah, it. <laughs> true. But in like an informative way of the the sense of I also feel good about it because I have friends who've listened to the podcast and then they they're like, I feel more cautious because now I know like things to look out for. And just like knowing a lot of times it's like my female friends and I we always talk about this. We're like it it is OK to be wary of the of possible situations you could get put in it's like it is okay to know that this sort of thing happens don't let it control your life but also like it's good to be cautious we're going to talk about a case uh to well when this episode comes out it'll be next week but um it's we're going to talk about um a case that has to do with college and just like i'm taking it all in but being cautious because it's the first time people are alone really away from their parents and that I feel like that's when people's true colors come out. Yeah. So I'm being I'm being cautious, but also having a good time. Good. Yeah. Good. Well, on that note, Stephen, I think it's time to transition into my favorite segment on this show. Okay. Whoa, this is crazy. Happy things. Happy things. <laughs> it's my favorite part of the whole show. So basically, we're just going to say one good thing that happened to us in our past week. Something that you're excited about. Something that, you know, you loved or something that's coming up that you're excited for. So do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? I'll go first. Okay. This is countercultural. Usually I do ladies first. I'll go first. Last night I walked to Irase Sushi and I got sushi with my wife and we just got to hang out. It's been a crazy few weeks. We moved. We got to walk. That was great. That is so cute. That's your happy thing. That is. That is such a good happy thing. We love a healthy relationship on this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Kaya, shout out. Yes. Um, but love you, girl. That's so good. Yeah, I love that. I talk about so many bad relationships on this podcast. When I hear someone like actually who <laughs> loves the person they're with, I'm like, oh, thank God. Yeah. There are still good people, good relationships. For sure. Um, my happy thing for this week. Gosh, let's see. I started college. Yes. That's exciting. I feel like I'm finally starting to settle in and like make friends. And I think that's my happy thing. But I'm starting to feel a lot more comfortable and getting into the groove of things more than I was the very first couple, like two weeks. So I would say, yeah, just feeling more comfortable at college and having a better experience. Like I have more people that I can rely on and be like, hey, you want to go get lunch? Stuff like that. So yeah, just being at college and settling in and things like that. And also I went surfing yesterday morning and that was really fun. Yes. So that's fabulous. Yeah, so those are my happy things. Good. Good to hear. That's great. 
Seriously. That is awesome that you're making Thank friends you. and like getting lunch with people and surfing. That's so cool because that's so tough in college. I feel like. At yeah. Least. So I think we're going to end the podcast right there. Thank you guys so, so much for listening to this episode of Horrible Things. We hope that you enjoyed it. It was a really fun episode to record. Um, I just want to do a little bit of um, an announcements, I guess, some things to look out for. Uh, we have recently started a Patreon page. So if you go to patreon.com slash horrible things, you can become a patron and support the podcast. All of your donations go back into the show and making it better. And uh, thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed it, you can go ahead and leave a rate and review on Apple Podcasts. And honestly, just tell your friends. That is how this podcast gets around and how people find out about it. Thank you for listening. Wherever you are, it honestly means the world to me and it makes all of this worth it. So I just want to end it out by telling you to remember to not be a nurse if you're not good at it. And vote for the guy in the tan suit in 2028 for president. But most importantly, don't, don't do, do horrible, horrible things. things.